1: Impact of Influence, The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. So grateful you're spending time with us. Matt Harrison, Seaton Tucker, back at it with more Murdoch stuff. We should tell you we're going to continue the updates of anything Murdoch, even though we have the side podcast about Shanquella Robinson going on right now, which hopefully you're following. But, uh, Seton, where can they find us?
0: You can find us on Facebook, which is Murdoch Podcast, or on our website, which is MurdochPodcast.com.
1: Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to talk to a woman who wrote a book about why women love killers, uh, which leads us to Alec Murdoch, who is, of course, serving two life sentences in a maximum security prison in South Carolina, and his attorney, Jim Griffin, who we've had on before, spoke on the Cuomo show and said that, here's the quote, I'll find the quote here, all right, about Alec. He thinks he can be productive in the general population. He'd rather take his chances on the yard than rot away in a cell, to be honest with you, Griffin told Cuomo. He wants to contribute. There's a lot of things he can do in the general pop. There are programs he can assist with. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would think that maybe being in this protective unit, you would be very isolated, and maybe he would like to have some other contact with just people in general. I did notice that the warden said in that interview, I think, that he had been receiving threats, but I guess Ellick did not receive any direct threats that he was aware of.
1: Not direct threats, but they've heard about threats. And Griffin said, anytime you're in prison and you're a name like he is, you're going to be challenged that he was o- able to overcome and develop relationships, and he was productive in the county jail, Of course, now he's in a, a, a different jail. Uh, also, Murdoch News is about the fact that some of the dates are now being released of when these other players in this whole thing will occur. There and
0: was a status conference, I believe, on Friday in front of Judge Newman.
1: Good old Judge Newman. He's handling all this stuff. They've you know, cycled it all through him. And uh, let's start with, well, of course, I'll start with Alec Murdoch, and he has 102 criminal charges. These are not the murders, too. These are just 102 separate ones.
0: And he did not attend this uh, status conference.
1: Nor did his attorneys. Uh, Judge Newman said that they might hold a a separate status conference by telephone with Griffin and Murdoch's defense team. And that could happen, they're thinking maybe October. Uh, Now, the state versus Corey Fleming. This whole story has been really quiet, right?
0: Yeah. Corey Fleming, if you don't remember, is Alex's longtime friend who was representing the Satterfield family in the litigation involving the death of their mother.
1: Right. And defrauding the estate of uh, Gloria Satterfield. So, let's see. When is that one coming up? He's scheduled to stand trial on those charges, September 11th in Buford County. And they said that'll be a one or two week trial. Could be interesting in that one too. Now we also have state of South Carolina versus Jerry rivers. And Jerry was indicted in August on obstruction of justice charges, later indicted on money laundering and other crimes connected to Murdoch's as uh, Creighton waters called it a stream of illegal money and drugs.
0: And I think, didn't he have some affiliation with this cowboy Gang.
1: They said loose. I, I'm not sure that that was proven, like he like lived across the street or something like that. And his court uh, date is August 28th in Collington County. And then there's Russell Lafitte, who has more stuff going down, uh, and he's already been convicted on the federal charges. And there will be some more charges he will have to face, and now there's a controversy. His new attorneys are saying, I might not be ready in time for the fall.
0: Because he still has a pending federal court appeal and also defending these state charges.
1: There'll be another status conference on him coming up. You got uh, the state of South Carolina versus Spencer Roberts. He was uh, indicted on charges in August of 2022. That included money laundering, insurance fraud, narcotics, a whole bunch of things. And that was all part of that stream that we talked about with the Alleged story is Murdoch goes to Eddie Smith. Eddie Smith goes to Rivers and Roberts and uh, does the drug thing. He's standing trial December 18th in Colleton County. And then Curtis Edward Smith versus the state. Cousin Eddie, we know he's been, you should know by now, he was indicted along with Murdoch in this assisted suicide insurance scheme. Now there's been also narcotics charges, And drug crimes in a multi-county area uh, related to oxycodone. And was he trafficking it? He also had some possession issues.
0: It will be really interesting to see if there are any plea deals that happen with these folks. And also what plays out with these financial crimes. And maybe we get some answers on where all the money's gone.
1: And uh, Eddie Smith has been very cooperative, they say. And he's also pretty sick. Uh, he has gone under dialysis is what we've heard uh, reported by the Greenville news. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that progresses because of his illness. It's more likely I would think that they're going to do some sort of uh, plea because he's immobile and uh, was not at this, this, this hearing as well.
0: And they're describing him as cooperative.
1: Yes. All right. Let's bring us to our guest. She is Sheila Eisenberg. She's been a writer in one way or another since she was 15-year-old high school sophomore. She's published four biographies and she's also wrote two editions of the groundbreaking pop psych true crime book Women Who Love Men Who Kill. It's on Simon and Schuster and Diversion Books. She has also worked as a reporter, press secretary, college instructor, organizer for New York Radical Feminist, media director for the Woodstock Comedy Festival and more. And we are pleased to welcome Sheila Eisenberg to the show and Seton, fire away.
0: Sheila, we are so excited to have you on as a guest. And I kind of wanted to start out with what made you interested in this subject about why women form these relationships with men
2: in jail? I did not really get interested in relationship, women forming relationships with men in jail. I started out and I continue to be interested in women getting into relationships with convicted murderers in prison, which is different. Uh, in other words, I'm not interested in anything like a woman who's got a relationship with a bank robber or a kidnapper mm-hmm. or a carjacker only with a man who's in prison for murder, so he won't be getting out. He's got a life sentence.
1: When you first began this journey, how were you able to get interviews with some of these women? Were they, did you have to work it? (laughs) Or did you have to, right away, want to talk?
2: Well, first of all, I wrote the first edition of the book in 1990. So that was before the internet. And as you can imagine, I had to slog through (laughs) uh, my research. It was all footwork and grunt work. And finding people without the internet was really hard. I went uh, to the individual prisons. I talked to the um, wardens. I talked to state officials. I put ads online. Back then, they had uh, support groups for women who were married to or in love with prisoners. I went to those groups. I told them who I was, and I asked them if they wanted to talk to me. And I just really did an enormous amount of footwork to find these women. And then once I found them, I had to convince them that I was someone they would want to talk to. So it was an enormous amount of footwork. Wow! What can I tell you? The second edition, which was published last year, was so much easier to do because of the internet. I bet. Yeah.
0: What were some of the reasons that these women started relationships with these men?
2: Well, they didn't tell me the reasons. I had to figure it out myself. Mm. Nobody said I started a relationship with a convicted killer because uh, of XYZ. I had to interview three dozen women for the first edition, which I did. And then I developed a theory on my own based on these interviews because they all had a lot in common. And I developed the theory and wrote it in the first edition. And that's how I became an expert on the subject.
1: I'm going to say, first of all, I'm guessing that the women might come from different backgrounds and things, right? But yet there's still a commonality in another way, right? So explain that.
2: Exactly. They all came from different backgrounds. They had different uh, education levels, different occupations. Some were married, some were single, some had children, some did not. Uh, one thing they did have in common, and this is always very interesting, is that the majority of them were Catholic. Hmm. So I'm not a theologian, so I never <laughs> interpreted that because I don't know what it means, but I. Included that in the um, book. But what they all had in common, which was glaring at me when I interviewed them, was that they had all been abused women in the past Hmm. uh, in different ways. Uh, Some of them, a few, a a small number, thankfully, had been sexually abused as children. Another group had been sexually abused as adults. A large number of women had been physically abused either by their parents, usually their fathers, or by their earlier relationships if they had been married in the past or had boyfriends. They were victims of domestic violence. I don't call it domestic violence anymore. I call it domestic terror Mm. because that's what it is. Some of them had not been sexually abused or physically abused, but had been psychologically abused. But every single one of these women was a victim of abuse and had been hurt in the past.
0: You talked about how technology changed your research in your second book. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how technology changed with how these women communicated with the men in jail and how they found them.
2: Well, in recent years, many, many prisoner and pal websites have sprung up and I talk about them in the book and I named some of them. And the most common one or the most popular one, shall I say, is called writerprisoner.com. And I interviewed the um, person who runs that website. But he had a huge number of inmates on his site, and he had a huge number of women coming to the site. And these prison pen pal websites, they're very interesting because the men pay a nominal fee to join. They can put their profile on the site. They can write a biography of themselves and put their photograph up. Now, the biography, of course, will not necessarily be the unvarnished truth. They will write things like, I love to go into the woods. I like (laughs) bird watching, things like that. All things that uh, they can't really do anymore. Maybe they did it in the past. I don't know. I'm not accusing them of lying necessarily, but, you know, they paint a, a nicer picture of themselves. They do have to acknowledge the crime that they're in for. That's one of the prerequisites of these websites. They put their biography and their picture up for a nominal fee. Then the women go on the website and they scroll through the bios and the pictures and they pick the men they want to communicate with. They write an email, they send it to the website. The men cannot get these emails. So the website translates the email into hard copy and wow. gives the men the printed pages containing the emails. Then the men pick out the women they want to respond to, and they write a responding hard copy and give it to the website, who then turns it into an email and sends it back to the woman. And that's how the communication goes.
1: Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it With a little bit of knowledge going in, and you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals you read stories you participate in dialogues so you are ready to go it's the most trusted time-tested app out there they've been the expert in language learning for 30 years buy rosetta stone now and you never have to pay a renewal fee don't put off learning that language there's no better time than right now to get started For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today.
0: One thing I noticed that you said in the book was the more notorious the criminal, the more appealing they seem to be to some of these women. Do you have a theory on why this is? I divide the women
2: and the and the men basically into two categories. A man who's committed a murder in a small town or even in a big city who does not get a lot of publicity, I call him a garden variety killer. He's not well known and the only way he gets into a relationship with a woman is if she works in the prison and gets to know him that way, or if she comes into the prison through some other way, like she's in an advocacy group, or one woman was, uh, several women were journalists, Uh, one was a nurse, one was a social worker. They interact with the prisoners through their work, basically. Uh, Or they they work inside the prisons. Mm -hmm. That's how they come to know the prisoners. The second group of prisoners get a lot of publicity on TV and in newspapers, podcasts, radio, internet. And because they get so much publicity, they come to the attention of people who watch the news or listen to the news. And the women who contact them are basically very different from the first group of women. the The first group of women are the women I mentioned earlier who've been abused are seeking certain things in a relationship with a prisoner. I don't know if you want me yeah. to go into that. Absolutely. Do you?
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay.
2: Okay. Well, the first group of women, which is larger, if you've been abused in your past, be looking for a relationship that's safe. And even though it seems counterintuitive, a relationship with a convicted murderer behind bars is safe because he can't hurt you. He's not getting out. hmm He's not going to be able to hit you. He can't do anything to harm you. And you're in control of the relationship. And perhaps for the first time in your life, you're in the driver's seat when it comes to a relationship with a man. Uh, You decide about phone calls, visits, how much money to put in his canteen. And um, if he's trying to get out, you're his advocate with his lawyer. You know, you have a lot of power. And for many of these women, it's the first time they have this power. Hmm. And it's basically a safe relationship where they have power. So it reverses the roles they've been in in their previous life. I know it sounds counterintuitive and strange, but that's what I figured out. Makes sense. The second group of women, which is smaller who are writing letters to Alex Murdoch and other notorious criminals are very different. I'm not saying whether or not they've been abused because I don't know about all of them, obviously. But these are women who are seeking publicity for themselves. They want their 15 minutes of fame. And they usually get it. So that any notorious criminal who ends up marrying one of these women, her name will be in the newspaper also. For example, I have in front of me, uh, I looked up Alex Murdoch and the women who were writing to him. And I discovered how many letters he's getting. And one of the news outlets had the dates and the names of the women and they had quotes from his letters. So these women all are getting their 15 minutes of fame. They're online.
0: Mm-hmm. They're
2: famous. And some of them will be selected by you, and they will be interviewed by you, and then their last names will be in the paper or in your podcast, and they will get their 15 minutes of fame, and that's really what they're looking for. Hmm. Um, I write a lot in the second edition about people's need to be acknowledged as individuals and to be important and not to just be anonymous. And this helps with that. It helps a woman feel she's just, she's not nobody. She's going to stand out in the world. She's going to be somebody. And the fact that she's going to be somebody by being the girlfriend of or the wife of a serial killer or someone who murdered his family or one of those heinous murderers is second take second place to the fact that it gives her a sense of importance.
1: Some of these women will try famous killer after famous killer after famous killer till they find someone. Is that true or do you know?
2: Some of them, yeah. I mean, I don't really know the answer to that. For sure, I've never really followed a single woman writing to a notorious killer to right. see if she writes to another one. But but I do know of a few cases where a woman got involved with um, a notorious murderer and then when that didn't work out, went on to another one, yes. It
0: seemed to me that loneliness seemed to be another factor of these women communicating with these men.
2: Which which ones? The ones with the notorious killers?
0: Or, Or any of them. It seemed like women who are reaching out to these murderers in jail seemed that a lot of them seem to be lonely.
2: Well, you know, if you get down to the most basic things, uh, we all have a human need to be loved and to be in a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So some women are lonely and some women are bored. And I've had women tell me they were bored. So they started scrolling through writeaprisoner.com. I've had women tell me they were, yeah, lonely, looking for love. And if you can't get it in real life, maybe you go to a dating website or maybe you go to a prison pen pal website. Mm. But it's all part of the human condition. Everyone wants to be in a relationship. It's the pressure that we put on people to be in relationships. And it's not just pressure. It's also the human need to be in, to be important to be cared about by somebody, to be someone's significant other. And also, we look at these women and we say, wow, what's with them? And, you know, a lot of people dismiss them as crazy, which I definitely do not, obviously. But if you think about it, think about your best friend and think about the man or the woman that he or she is in love with. Have you ever said to yourself? What does she see in him? <laughs> or what does he see in her? And you're baffled, right? Right. So this is the same thing, only on a different level. What does the woman writing to Alex Murdoch see in him? Well, we don't get it. But what we can get, if we really examine it, is she's lonely, she wants to be loved. And maybe she was one of those abused women. And she wants to be known. She doesn't want to live and die in anonymity. So if she can get Alex Murdoch to marry her, her name's going to be in the paper. She's going to be somebody.
0: It seems like a lot of these women are convinced that the men that they're in these relationships with are not guilty of the crime or there's some sort of justification for the crime. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think these women really believe they're innocent?
2: They really believed that the men were, if not innocent, then in some way the crime was explainable. I had a woman tell me that, oh, yeah, he pulled the trigger, but that's because someone bumped into him. Oh, jeez. Or he was drunk or he was on drugs. Or his friends made him do it. Or he was young. Or the biggest one of all is he did do it, but now he's in prison and he's found God.
1: Uh. He's a changed
2: man. Or even if he didn't find God, he's a changed man. Mm -hmm. He's grown up. He's different. He's not the same person. There's all kinds of justifications for it. Sometimes, like um, Ted Bundy, I don't know if you know this, but he got married yeah. while he was on trial. Do yes, you know that? I
1: read that. Yes.
2: So then, but Carolyn Boone, she truly believed that he was innocent. But later on, when she realized that he wasn't innocent, that he was guilty, she divorced him. Oh, geez. so I didn't know that yeah. Usually, these women will find either some proof in their minds that he didn't really do it, he didn't really mean it they were justifying or mitigating circumstances, but when they can no longer believe that and they are faced or confronted with the fact that, hey, this guy really is a killer, then they get rid of him.
1: Do they have any interest in having sex with these guys?
2: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, The the 30 women I interviewed, or three dozen women I interviewed, had no interest in sex. As a matter Hmm. of fact, the no sex thing was a big part of the relationship. I write about it in the first edition. I call it the um the king author Knights of the Round Table thing, where the woman's up on a pedestal and he's writing love letters mm. and poetry and he's worshiping her from afar, but that's about it.
0: A lot of these women like the fact that these men had nothing else to do than just think about them. Yes. Focus on yes focus their attention right.
2: 100%. Yeah, it was pure romance. I write about romance with a capital R, you know. it's Where else can you get someone to give you that much attention?
1: This is true. Yeah. You right. don't have to worry about him cheating on you either. Right?
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you don't have to worry about anything. All right. Except uh, helping him get out of prison if that's what you want to do. But that you know, the counterintuitive part is a lot of these women get involved with their man's paroles and attempts to get out of prison, even though once they do, generally the relationship's in. Oh,
1: never thought about that. Because the
2: relationship can only flourish while he's inside prison, because the prison walls create the environment within which she's in control, he can't hurt her, and all of the things I discussed.
0: I found your book so fascinating. Matt, do you have anything else to no. ask her?
1: No, this is I mean, this has been uh, great. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us, and uh, sure. hopefully people will pick up the book. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. I,
0: I really enjoyed your book, and thanks again for coming on. Oh,
2: thank you. You're welcome.
1: Uh, Sheila Eisenberg, that's Eisenberg with an I, dot com. And the book, Women Who Love Men Who Kill, 35 True Stories of Prison Passion.
0: And you can find it on Amazon. I listened to it on Audible because I had a lot of driving to do.
1: And we're going to talk about your chili because during the Alec Murdoch trial, there was a lot of talk about... Dead hogs and hog hunting and the wild boar meat that comes along with it, uh and so you found some wild boar.
0: yes, I was in the grocery store the other day, and I was shocked to see that they had it it just a package of wild boar meat and it actually came from Texas, not south carolina but i I left it that day. I said, no, I don't think I can do it, but then it kept. I, I just kept thinking about it, so I went back to the grocery store, and I got the wild boar meat and said, I'm going to try to make some chili out of this. So I did yesterday.
1: Yeah, and?
0: Well, it was too gamey for me, but my husband and son really liked it. My daughter refused to even try it.
1: Refused to even try it? She's very picky. Yeah, I know my kids wouldn't try it either, probably, but you could have just told him it was pork. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, it's it uh, was, was a big deal during the trial they talked about how sometimes they would give away the meat and other times they let nature take its course that sort of thing so you had a chance for wild boar and we're wrapping uh we have our second case we're doing is shankwella robinson we released one episode pretty good response and uh so episode two is on its way and as always we're grateful and where can they find us
0: You can find us on our Facebook page, which is Murdoch Podcast, or our website, which is MurdochPodcast.com.
1: As always, grateful. We'll talk soon, friend. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality.
2: That's how a scam
0: begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a
1: con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house.
0: I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an
1: eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever
0: fine podcasts are found.
2: Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomena slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people. To the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com